TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This hour is sponsored by Kubota Tractor and Ahern Equipment in Spencer, Mass. Time now for the Brian Barrett Show on EEI. Mac, how, how confident is this locker room right, right now? It seems to be the buy-in seems to be pretty high at this point. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we're confident and we know what the formula is for, for winning the game. And um, we just have to continue to do that. We can't be satisfied with where we're at. We're not where we want to be. And we're going to continue to work every day. And this week's a quick week and we got to be ready to go um, for the game on Thursday. All right, that's the quarterback, Mac Jones, on with Lou and Christian yesterday. And now we're less than 48 hours away from the Patriots playing another football game. Unbelievable. Right now they are on a four-game winning streak. Imagine that. When this team was 2-4, and four, it looked rough. And then they had that win against the Jets. And you wanted to see more because it was the Jets. And, yeah, they dominated it. But, again, it was the Jets. So you didn't make too much out of the fact that, oh, yeah, great, they beat the Jets. Quite frankly, I was a little disturbed that they used so many trick plays in that game, but it felt like that was a move from Bill Belichick to essentially get confidence with his team, to blow out a team to get more confidence going forward. And ever since that point, we've seen it. A convincing win over the Chargers, where you made Justin Herbert look like a quarterback that, quite frankly, didn't look anywhere near the talent level that he's at right now. And then we saw the game last weekend which was just absolutely ridiculous. And, of course, he had the Panthers game in there as well, which was a dominant defensive performance. But that Panthers team, they came into that one with Sam Darnold as the quarterback. Now they get Cam Newton back in the organization, which is a whole different story. But you didn't look at the Panthers win as that's a super impressive win. Yeah, you're impressed with the way that the defense performs, and the offense did its job to a certain extent, although the quarterback was not particularly great in that game. But this was the statement. The win Sunday against the Cleveland Browns, that was the statement where, okay, you had the win that you needed over the Chargers, where that was validation. This defense is legit. Bill Belichick's back to being the Bill Belichick that we remember, not the Bill Belichick in the Patriots organization that we saw last year. But this was, okay, the Patriots have actually arrived. So with that win on Sunday, do you actually now believe that this Patriots team is a legitimate Super Bowl contender coming out of the AFC. 617-779-7937 is the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. So a couple of things. I don't feel like they are the favorites or anything along those lines. And the reason I say that is this. There's still one thing, and maybe we will see this in the coming weeks, although I wouldn't want to have to see it. But there is one thing that I would question about this team going forward is what happens when they fall behind in a game. 
can this Patriots team win? Hey, the running game is not available. When you fall behind by that sort of margin where, okay, the defense knows what you need to do. They know you need to pass the football. Are you going to be able to do that? Because when you look at some of the other contenders in the AFC, nobody's perfect. They're all flawed. But if you look at a team like, say, for example, the Buffalo Bills, and I know Josh Allen is not playing as well this year as he did last season, but you know that Bills team, they can come back on you because of the passing game they have with the Stephon Diggs of the world, with the Cole Beasley's of the world, with the Emmanuel Sanders of the world, and, of course, the trigger man and Josh Allen. And I know that the Chiefs had some bad weeks, but did you see Sunday Night Football? Pat Mahomes looks like he's back to being Pat Mahomes. We know how dangerous that offense can be. Yeah, they don't have that third weapon that they've had in previous seasons, mainly Sammy Watkins not being in the equation there. But we all know that Pat Mahomes can bring you back at a football game. That's the one thing that I would say where with this Patriots team, that's the one thing I'm just not sure about right now. And quite frankly, I don't believe it can happen this season just based on the weaponry that Mac Jones has. They don't have an awfully explosive offense. Now, we saw signs of explosions over the weekend against the Cleveland Browns, but this isn't the type of team that wants to get in any sort of situation where it's a shootout, right? So that would be my one concern in terms of putting them up with the elite teams of the AFC, so to speak. But based on the fact that we've seen this defense Definitely develop into an elite group this season. I'll get into that in greater detail, just how good the defense has been so far this season. And the offense now, this was the most impressive performance from my perspective. I know you put up a lot of points against the Jets, but that's a horrible team. What they did against a Cleveland Browns defense that was really good was impressive. Because of the fact also after the game, you heard Miles Garrett of the Cleveland Browns say that they didn't make any adjustments. He knew what they were doing, but on the sidelines, they didn't make any adjustments. He actually said that after the game. Not like, oh, yeah, we noticed you didn't make any adjustments. Miles Garrett literally called out the coaching staff by saying they didn't make any adjustments, which is something we've seen so often in the past during the Brady era with Belichick and company, and now, of course, his son and Steve Belichick, and we've seen it with Josh McDaniels on an offensive side of the ball, is they make the necessary adjustments. Cleveland didn't adjust their best player. Their defensive player of the year candidate, if you will, legitimately came out and said we didn't make any adjustments. That would never happen with the Patriots when they have the proper players. Last year, it's a different situation because the team just flat out stunk. Even if you made adjustments, we wouldn't have noticed them because the team wasn't nearly good enough to be able to do it. That's why you look at the Super Bowl last year, the Kansas City loss to Tampa Bay. Does anybody else think that the Patriots would have not made any adjustments like Kansas City didn't? Where they said, hey... These guys up front, the Shaq Barretts of the world, they are just getting to our quarterback left and right. We can't block them, but we're not going to make any adjustments. We're not going to chip them. We're not going to do anything. Belichick would never let that crap happen, right? That's the difference between Bill Belichick and Andy Reid. But nonetheless, just getting back to the original point as it pertains to that Browns dominating performance is we've seen so often in the past Belichick and company take away your number one option from an offensive perspective. But what we saw last weekend against the Browns is they took away their best defensive player. And this is something that Bill has done in the past as well. And give Josh McDaniels credit also is if you go back to, say, for example, the J.J. Watt era with the Texans, when did J.J. Watt ever wreck a game against the Patriots? In fact, at last glance, he doesn't have a sack against the Patriots because Belichick doesn't let him beat him. And we saw him multiple times. There were three guys blocking Miles Garrett. He would not let Miles Garrett destroy the football game. And Miles Garrett was so frustrated after the game, as we alluded to, he called out the coaching staff 
Because if he's getting triple teams, somebody else needs to make a play, and the Browns were never able to do that. So it felt like Bill and the coaching staff got its swagger back last week. Now, they were starting to get it back with a three-game winning streak, but you have an impressive win like that against a Cleveland team that, remember, they took the Kansas City Chiefs into the fourth quarter. I know Pat Mahomes went down in that game, but Cleveland should have won that playoff game against Kansas City. This is a team that expects to be in the postseason, and the Patriots just completely destroy them. And one thing that I saw on Sunday in particular was from the quarterback, Mac Jones. Now, what I said last week as it pertains to Jones is he had two games where he wasn't particularly good. I'm not saying that I looked at those two games and said, oh, yeah, you know what? Mac was not great against the Chargers and he wasn't great against Carolina. So I don't believe he can play or anything along those lines. I just felt like the offense needed to make some necessary adjustments to have a more diverse passing game and have, quite frankly, a more explosive passing game. Because what we saw last week, or what we saw the two weeks prior, the Patriots didn't have an adjustment when teams stacked the box, right? We looked at Damian Harris in those games in terms of the situation against the Panthers. 40% of the time, he saw eight-man boxes. He did not run the ball particularly well. 15 carries for 30 yards, two yards a carry. Then you look at that Chargers game, eight-man boxes, 39 0.1% of the time, Harris ran for 80 yards, but he did it on 23 carries. So just 3.5 yards per carry. So you get the point. The running game, yeah, you were getting yardage, but you weren't running the ball with any sort of efficiency whatsoever. Okay, what happened to Mac Jones in those two games? Just 178 yards per game in those two, 56% in terms of his completion percentage, one touchdown, one interception. Okay, well, the Browns did the same thing. Now, I understand that Damian Harris wasn't part of the equation, of course, because he was dealing with the concussion, but Stevenson was there. Ramondre Stevenson had an outstanding game. Well, similar situation. This is now the third consecutive week we've seen this trend with the Patriots in terms of the opposition's game plan. Make the quarterback beat you. That's what the Browns were doing as well. You look at Stevenson, he saw eight-man boxes 45% of the time, and Mack performed at a high level. That's the difference. That's the growth from the quarterback. We're seeing him maturing in front of our eyes as a rookie in this league. Two weeks in a row, not good against the Chargers, not good against the Carolina Panthers with the game plan that was designed to say, hey, Mac, you cannot beat us. And he wasn't really, quite frankly, able to beat the Panthers or the Chargers. That was more about your defense, more so than anything else, right? But against Cleveland, it was about Mac. Mac was 19 of 23 in that game for 198 yards. I know the yardage isn't impressive. Three touchdowns, no interceptions. That is impressive. And by the way, so as we mentioned, the completion percentage 19 for 23. So it's well over 80%. His expected completion percentage in that game, according to Next Gen Stats, was 66.5. So he was actually 16.2% better in terms of over expectation. In terms of what he was supposed to do, 66.5. He was 16.2% better which tells you just how accurate the player is, right? And that's why he has those accuracy numbers, over 68% in terms of the year. And some of those throws he made on Sunday, those were not easy throws. The throw he made to Bourne was gorgeous. The throw that he made to Hunter Henry in the end zone was absolutely tremendous as well. So that's one of the things that we've seen over, or that's one of the things we saw, I should say, last week was the game plan that had been used to minimize what the Patriots were doing from an offensive perspective Well, it didn't work last Sunday for the Cleveland Browns. So Mac Jones and this passing game, if you will, and Josh McDaniels to a lesser degree scheming it up, they had to tell defenses that, hey, if you or prove to defenses, I should say, prove to the rest of the NFL 
that if you're going to continue to do this, we're going to beat you in the passing game. And last week was the first week we actually saw that. And quite frankly, I give Josh McDaniels a lot of credit because I do feel like they were creative with the running game as well with Kendrick Bourne getting reverses. We don't see a lot of that in terms of in the, across the NFL. The Patriots do it all the time, and they really scheme that one up. What I thought came out of Sunday more so than anything else, that was a complete coaching mismatch. And Kevin Stefanski is known as a good young coach in the NFL, and Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels, Steve Belichick, they just absolutely destroyed those guys. Now, one of the things I'll point out with Stevenson is, and this is going to be a conversation going forward the rest of the season, you have a really good one-two punch right now in Damian Harrison, Ramondre Stevenson, but one of the things that Stevenson is more comfortable with than Damian Harris is catching the ball out of the backfield. And I'm wondering if, now maybe this is an adjustment they would have made either way, if Damian Harris was playing in the game or if it was just Ramondre Stevenson, is one of the things, if you notice in that game, is they actually targeted Stevenson out of the backfield five times. He had four grabs for 14 yards. Not to say that's anything outstanding in terms of the four grabs for 14 yards, but the five targets is something to take note of, okay? Because Stevenson is a better receiver out of the backfield already than Damian Harris. Harris has not really gotten involved in the passing game. So if you look at it, Stevenson last week, as we alluded to, the five targets. Well, Harris's last four games before, of course, he missed this one because of the concussion. One target, one target, two targets, one target. So either one of two things are true. Either this was going to be a situation where Josh McDaniel said, hey, we have to make them respect our running backs, catching the ball out of the backfield. Or secondarily is, okay, well, Damian Harris isn't in the game. Ramondre Stevenson is in the game. Stevenson appears to be a better pass catcher than Damian Harris. So let's take advantage of that. One of those two things are true. I tend to think that it's the latter, that they trust Stevenson, even though he's a rookie more in the passing game than they trust Damian Harris. Harris has really never had that element to his game. So this comes back to the original point in terms of teams stacking the boxes, the eight-man boxes. Even with Stevenson in, it was actually a higher rate than we've seen with Damian Harris in previous weeks. If Stevenson's going to be able to do this out of the backfield, when you start to compare the two running backs, Stevenson runs the ball just as hard as Damian Harris does. He looks just as fast as Damian Harris. He's bigger than Damian Harris. And if he brings this element to the passing game, you really got to start to look at this in terms of if you're Bill Belichick, if you're Josh McDaniels, who's going to be the guy that's on the field more? If Stevenson continues to show stuff like this, he's a more versatile running back than Damian Harris is. Now, it's great that you have two guys, right? You like to have that, especially in the modern-day NFL. I mean, you think about last weekend. Damian Harris was going into that game without question. You're a bell cow running back. He's not available for you in that game, and Ramondre Stevenson can just step right in and solve that problem. But now going forward, this is going to be an interesting dynamic because we know Damian Harris has certainly deserve all the credit he's gotten this season. But now Ramondre Stevenson, this is an interesting dynamic going forward in terms of that running back room. Stevenson can do more. And Stevenson in the open field, I don't get it. I don't know how this guy is six feet almost 230 pounds. I don't know how he can run the way that he can. It's awfully impressive to witness. Now, one other thing I wanted to mention is this. So I mentioned last week, and I actually wrote a column on this for WEI.com. I sound like Brad Fogan myself referencing my own column. But I was talking about the fact that Mac Jones doesn't really have that outlet guy, that reliable receiver. Well, maybe it's the tight end because now we've seen it with Hunter Henry over the past couple of weeks in terms of what Hunter Henry has brought to this offense as that big free agent signing, if you will. Now, Mac Jones earlier in the week talked about the relationship he has with Hunter Henry. 
Do you guys hang out a lot off the field also? Yeah. Yeah. Is he kind of like, can you kind of, what do you kind of think that was he like your big brother? Like, sh- yeah, sh- sh- yeah. Yeah. He's like my big <laughs> All right. That so was Mac Jones with Christian and Lou. Yeah. Is he like your big brother? Yeah. Do you guys hang out off the field? Yeah. Like, can you give us a little more? Can you give us some more details, Mac? Like those guys are trying to get things out of him. Now he's coming out of his shell a little bit, but he is the perfect Patriot when it comes to that. Yeah. But I do. Yeah. I do believe that that relationship they have off the field certainly helps them on the field. How could it not? Right. But if I look at it now, so Hunter Henry has now become the guy where if you need to have it, he's the guy. I know Jacoby Myers has been good for this team this season. Kendrick Bourne was outstanding last week. I understand all that. But when you need to have it, Hunter Henry's Mac Jones's guy. And every young quarterback, quite frankly, every quarterback in general needs that type of guy. Even though Hunter Henry is not big in terms of the volume, it's the importance of the receptions he makes, right? So if you look at it, he has touchdowns now in six of the last seven games. And by the way, in one of those games, he has two touchdowns. So he actually has seven touchdowns during that seven-game stretch. He had zero in the first three weeks. Since then, he has seven. Now, the volume, as we alluded to, it's not there. 31 receptions for 353 yards. That's 35.3 yards per game. So it's not a big number in terms of the volume. But don't get caught up in the volume. Seven touchdowns on the season. That's the most he's had since his rookie season back in 16. And by the way, those seven receiving touchdowns, they're now tied for fifth in the NFL. Cooper Cup, Mike Evans, Tyreek Hill, and DK Metcalf are the only guys to have more at this particular point in time than Hunter Henry. So, how about this? Henry has 31 receptions on the season, as we mentioned. So, not a big number. But how about this fact? 28 of those have either gone for a first down or a touchdown. I do the math on that. That's 90%. So, 90% of this guy's catches are critical catches. He's either extending a drive or he's getting points for you. So, when you talk about the relationship that Hunter Henry and Mac Jones have developed, it's important because he knows on third down, I can go to this guy. He knows when he gets into the red zone, he can go to that guy. And how about the one that he threw last week to Hunter Henry right in the front of the end zone? That was a spot route. You look at that. That's something that Brady used to do with Gronkowski all the time. I mean, that was a big thing for Mac Jones and Hunter Henry. And clearly, he has faith that he's going to come down with the football. You know why? You know how many drops Hunter Henry has on the season? Zero. Zero. Now, ultimately, I would say, or I believe, he's a number two weapon, right? You look at the numbers we mentioned, just 35 yards per game. He's a number two weapon. That's what he is. He's not a definitive number one weapon. Like, for example, Rob Gronkowski in his prime at the tight end position was your number one weapon. He's not that, but he is certainly a massive contributor to this team, and he's massive for the development of the quarterback, right? When you know, okay, when we get into the red zone, when you get in there, you're looking for that guy. And now defenses are going to have to start to account for that, right? which could start to open things up for other receivers out there in terms of the Jacoby Myers of the world, the Kendrick Bourne of the world. And I'm wondering, too, if teams are going to start to adjust on third down because they know that this is the guy Mac Jones wants to go to. And I'm not saying that it's like, oh, this means they're going to take Hunter Henry away. I'm just saying our team's going to start to adjust to this because when Hunter Henry has been single cover this year, Mac Jones is confident going to the player. And we have seen consistently this season that Hunter Henry has been able to make plays in those particular situations. So the two things that I that jumped out to me in terms of this week was Mac Jones, after two games where I felt like he needed to answer the bell, and against a Cleveland team that I know the Patriots destroyed them, but coming into the week, we all thought that this could be a quality game. I felt it would be a competitive game. I didn't think it would be a blowout 45-7, to seven, right? So the quarterback after 
two subpar performances. Not that he was horrible. I'm not saying that, but two subpar performances against Carolina and the Chargers. And you felt like, well, hold on. Is he plateauing a little bit? He steps up and he shows you that, okay, no, he's not plateauing. He actually took a step forward last week. And that was the biggest development that we saw on the football field in that particular game. The other thing with the offense is this. Now we have seen this for five, six weeks in a row where Hunter Henry continues to be the go-to guy for Mac Jones. And this is the guy that Mac Jones needs in terms of the evolution as him as a player, especially this season. Because if you go back to Tom Brady, now it's a different type of player. Brady always had that outlet guy. Whether it be Troy Brown when he first started, whether it be Deion Branch after that. We saw it with, with Wes Welker. We saw it with Julian Edelman. We saw it with a guy like Rob Gronkowski. He always had that guy that he know that he knew he could go to. And I'm not comparing Hunter Henry to Rob Gronkowski, but right now it feels like Mac Jones is in that state of mind where he knows, okay, if I throw the ball to Hunter Henry, he's going to come down with it. If I need a first down, I'm going to go to this guy. And the thing that we saw, the third thing I would say that is important about the offense last week is the fact that you proved that you could beat a defensive scheme that you hadn't so far. And I know that you won the games against Carolina and against the Chargers, but when they stacked the box with box rather with eight guys, the Patriots' passing game was not effective whatsoever. The Patriots' running game was not effective whatsoever. You won those games because of the defense. That same strategy was used against the Patriots last week, and they made the necessary adjustments, and the quarterback was absolutely tremendous. That's the big thing going forward. All right, 617-779-7937 is the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. So, after this win over Cleveland, do you consider the Patriots to be legitimate contenders in the AFC? Can they make a Super Bowl run? That's on the table at 617-779-7937+. Plus. There are three reasons the Patriots' defense is elite and will stay elite. We'll get to those next here on WEI. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame... Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice-cold reward. Medella, the markable fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. What you want to hear more of Brian Barrett on EEI. I had a question about Christian Barmore. Um, a couple plays in particular, uh, the incompletion that JC Jackson almost picked off and, and the ball that Kyle Duggar picked off. He was in the backfield on both of those. 
and especially on the Duggar one, it seemed like he, he took the center into the, into the backfield and, and the guard might have been there with him. Just that kind of power. Is that rare for a rookie? And, and when did you know he might have that kind of that kind of force right away? Uh, well, I think, you know, he uh, Kirsten's a strong player. He's also got good length. And um, so the combination of those two uh, things can, you know, create some power and leverage against uh, the offensive lineman. Um, Cleveland's got a pretty big group. Their guards are pretty pretty long to six five. That's some of the you know longer guys in the league. But you know, Barmore is a powerful player, and um, you know he's really been kind of doing that all year for us. All right, that's Bill Belichick talking about Christian Barmore, who has been a great find. Remember, that's the guy that Bill Belichick and company traded up for in the second round to get Barmore out of Alabama. There were some question marks about how much he wanted to play football. It looks like he's worked out pretty good for the Patriots so far. So, by the way, I'll throw this out of the table as well. So, if you want to weigh in on whether or not this team is a legitimate contender in the AFC, that's on the table. But also this. Is Bill Belichick back to being a good executive again? That's on the table at 617-779-7937. Because you start to look at this offseason. First of all, I don't know how many times an NFL team and maybe I'll give you a, maybe an example, but how many times in the history of this league has an executive been able to go out in the same offseason, not only find a franchise quarterback, but in the same offseason, find a defensive player of the year candidate? And that's exactly what Bill Belichick did this offseason. And I know that you can point to the fact, well, look, Bill had all this money in the offseason. Matthew Judon said the Patriots chose him, right, because of the fact that they came out with the most money. But if you look at what the Patriots are able to do, they found a legitimate bona fide defensive player of the year candidate in the same year that they found their next franchise quarterback. That's very difficult for any organization to do. And quite frankly, nobody comes to mind from my perspective that's been able to do that, right? You look at a team like, for example, you have, the Rams. Okay, well, maybe Matthew Stafford, who has sucked the past couple of games, maybe is their new franchise quarterback, but they already had Aaron Donald in the fold. So when you look at it from that perspective, it's very rare you see that. Now, Chandler Jones and Kyler Murray, Chandler Jones came in after Kyler Murray, or I should say a year before Kyler Murray came to Arizona or two years before Kyler Murray came to Arizona. So that did not happen in the same year. It's very rare that any team in NFL history has been able to do that, where they actually get one of the best defensive players in the NFL and a franchise quarterback in the same year. It just doesn't happen. And I know part of the reason is Belichick had a bad couple of years in terms of an executive in the NFL, where if you really look at it from about, what, 15 to 19, his drafting was not good. So I understand it. He had an advantage because of the fact he had all this money because you know who he wasn't giving contract extensions to? Any of his recent draft picks. He didn't have to extend any of the goals. I understand all that. But he still deserves credit for being able to go out there and look at a guy like Matthew Judon and say he's got to be better here than he was in Baltimore. And you look at his last draft, Mac Jones, he's your franchise quarterback. Second round, Christian Barmore. That guy's going to be a stud for this team for a long time. And Ramondre Stevenson. And then you go back to the previous draft. Kyle Duggar looks pretty damn good. Had the interception last weekend. Of course, a lot of that had to do with the pressure up front. front. But nonetheless, Kyle Duggar's played really well for this team. Josh Uche seems to be coming into his own as well. So the past couple of drafts for Bill Belichick have been pretty good after a rough patch. Nobody's going to deny that. I'm not 
saying that Bill never screwed up in the draft, right? He did draft to kill Harry. I'm not denying any of that. But you have to come to the actual realization that Belichick has adjusted as an executive. He hit that draft out of the ballpark. I don't know how many people you could argue had a better draft than Bill Belichick did. Found a running back that has been an absolute stud for this team, especially last week. Found you a franchise quarterback and found a guy up front that's an absolute beast. He's an absolute monster. Okay, so when you look at it from that perspective, I don't know how you could have a better draft than the one that Bill Belichick had last year. You can't. You cannot have a better draft than that. So after many years of being criticized, and as I alluded to, deservingly so, Belichick's back in a conversation where now he should be the executive of the year. Who has had a better year? And I don't know if technically they'd not give it to Belichick because, well, he's the head decision maker, so they should give it to Belichick. But if you look at it, who has had a better couple of months, if you or offseason, if you will, than Bill Belichick did? You can look at a team like the Rams. Okay, yeah, they got Stafford. They added Vaughn Miller who hasn't really done much except get his ass kicked by George Kittle. I know that they just traded for Odell Beckham Jr. That didn't exactly go well. Or not traded for him, but they signed him. That didn't exactly go well last night. So who really has had a better offseason than Bill Belichick based on the results you're getting on the field? There's really not a close second right now than what Bill Belichick's been able to do with this team and turning this thing around. Just think about the temperature. Just think about the approval rating, if you will. That's a better way to phrase it. For Bill Belichick, say six months ago to now, it's not even close. It's night and day. And you know it's that way because of the way that the national media is talking about Bill Belichick. So for my money right now, this guy's the executive of the year, and it's not even close. Now, one of the things I wanted to mention here is just the defense. So if you look at it this year, right now the Patriots are – Second in passer rating again, 75.7. They're second in points per game, 17.7. They are third in completion percentage, 59.4. Think about that. Quarterbacks are completing less than 60% of their passes against the Patriots. Now, Dak Prescott, if you look at it through the season, he's the only guy that really lit up the Patriots defense. That's it. Dak's the only guy, not even Tom Brady, and I know there's a monsoon, et cetera. But nonetheless, getting back to the original point, no quarterback's been lighting up the Patriots. Herbert was horrible. If you look at yards per play, the Patriots are fourth, 5.2. Expected points per play, Patriots are fifth. Drop back expected points added, sixth. Six in total defense, 328 yards per game. They're eighth in passing defense, 220. So any way you slice it, this has been an elite defense. So there are a lot of reasons for that. Let's start with this. This is smart defense. This is back to, I don't want to say it's similar to the groups, but... It does kind of remind you of the defenses back in the day from 01 to 04, where you had just a lot of smart football players, the Brewskis, the Willie McGinnis of the world, the Rodney Harrisons of the world, right? Just really smart football players. You look at this team. So if you go back to that game against the Chargers, prior to that, they were playing a ton of man, and then they played a ton of zone against the Chargers. Herbert admitted after that game that he was not expecting what the Patriots put out there. He never adjusted whatsoever in that game. Herbert, remember back in that Chargers game, 18 of 35, 223. So he completed 51.4% of his passes. That was his worst of the season in terms of a completion percentage. 66.7 rating, worst of the season for Herbert. Two interceptions. He only threw multiple picks in one of the game. So this is certainly a smart defense that we've seen can do multiple different things. They can scheme it up, which is what Phil Belichick wants to do, what he's always wanted to do. Okay, number two. The personnel is just ridiculous right now. So let's go to Judon. 
Judon's the big one, as we mentioned briefly. So 31 pressures on the season. That's third in the NFL behind only Harold Landry and Miles Garrett. Nine and a half sacks. That's fourth in the NFL behind Garrett, TJ Watt, and Harold Landry. Ten tackles for loss. That's tied for six in the NFL. The leaders are at 13, so he's not too far behind. That's Nick Bosa, Miles Garrett, and TJ Watt. And here's the most impressive thing about this. Judon, in some sense, was a projection. You're projecting Matthew Judon because he wasn't this player in Baltimore. Now, maybe he could have been, but the scheme there with Wink Martindale is different, right? It's It's been compared to, like, the Warriors offense where it's essentially a situation where it's positionless, if you will. They blitz from all over the place, but it doesn't really highlight one player's skill set like it did back in the day with Ed Reed, Ray Lewis, those type of guys. Terrell Suck is, is different than that now. So if you look at it, so Judon for his career, most pressures he's ever had was 36 back in 18. So he's five away after 10 games. He's going to shatter that. He's already tied his career high in sacks. That came at 19. He's already at nine and a half. That's his career high. Most tackles for loss is 17. He's at 10 right now. Should get there. Second best is 14. Four years, $54.5 million. Completely worth it. 32 guaranteed. $13.6 million per season. And yes, the Patriots are able to get him because they offered the most money and they went after him hard. But you have to also acknowledge the fact that Bill Belichick identified the player. And he said, in my system, he's not going to be what he was in Baltimore. Or I should say this, we're going to enhance his usage. He's going to be a more impactful player for us here with the Patriots than he was in Baltimore. And clearly, Bill nailed that out of the park. And give Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo credit as well, because clearly they're scheming it up for Judon as well. Not to say that he needs it to be schemed up, but he certainly delivered on that. The other thing is this. J.C. Jackson has been tremendous. I'll get to him in a second. But just for a reference point, the last time the Patriots had an elite pass rusher and an elite cornerback was when? I would say you would have to go back to the 2014 season where you had Chandler Jones, who was coming into his own, and of course he blossomed more once he got to Arizona with more opportunities, et cetera. But you would have to go back to 14 when you had Darrell Revis and you had Chandler Jones because even some of those teams that won Super Bowls like in 16 and 18, yeah, you had an elite cornerback, especially in 18 with a guy like Stephon Gilmore. But in 18, did you really have an elite pass rusher? No. So really you have not had this element to your defense since the 2014 season when you won the Super Bowl against the Seattle Seahawks. And, of course, those early Patriots defenses, you certainly had that. You had Richard Seymour getting after the quarterback, and, of course, you had Ty Law. So you had it back then. You had it briefly in 14. You haven't had it since. And, look, the Patriots defense has been plenty good without the elite pass rusher. They've always, all Bills teams have had that elite cornerback in terms of the teams that won the Super Bowl. They've all had elite cornerbacks. And J.C. Jackson has developed into that. And that was one of the questions that I had entering the season. And J.C. Jackson has answered this. Question I had is, okay, if Stephon Gilmore is not here, can J.C. Jackson actually be a legitimate bona fide number one corner? Because last year, okay, we saw him get the opportunity down the stretch of the season. And let's be real about this. He was not great against Stephon Diggs, right? Stephon Diggs destroyed him on Monday Night Football. And not that it all goes into one game, but the question was, okay, Yeah, he's one of the best number two corners in the NFL, meaning playing on the other side of the number one guy in Stephon Gilmore. But can he be a great number one corner? And he's proven that he can. So if you look at some of the numbers on the season, of course, we know about the interceptions, five of them tied for second. Diggs, of course, leads the NFL, although Diggs has not been playing particularly well lately. Have you noticed that? That guy's been getting burnt. But anyway, 
50.7 opponents' completion percentage. That is fifth among players targeted at least 50 times this season. Really good. So top five in that. And then the other big one is a 46.8 quarterback rating against. You know where that ranks amongst players targeted at least 50 times this season first. So he's first in quarterback rating. He's fifth in completion percentage. And he's second in interceptions. So J.C. Jackson has answered that question. So if you look at the personnel of this Patriots defense, you have a guy up front in Christian Barmore that's been tremendous at his rookie season. You have one of the elite defensive players in the NFL. You have a legitimate game wrecker. And I can't remember the Patriots having this level of game wrecker when I'm referring to Matthew Judon since when. Chandler Jones was brief with that, but he wasn't to this level that Judon's at, right? He eventually would become that in Arizona, but I'm talking about for the Patriots. When's the last time they've had a game wrecker like this? Quite frankly, you may have to go all the way back to Richard Seymour with the first Patriots dynasty to have a guy this good in terms of what he's able to do from a defensive perspective, getting after the quarterback. He's great against the run as well. We referenced the 10 tackles for a loss. They haven't had this type of player in a while. And to go along with that, you have an elite cornerback, which just makes it so much easier for Bill Belichick and company to scheme things up defensively because you know you have that guy, J.C. Jackson, in the back end. And it's got to be devastating for an opposition right now to deal with J.C. Jackson because not only is he great in coverage, we gave you the numbers, the opponent's completion percentage, the opponent's quarterback rating, but he's going to pick you off. He will turn you over. J.C. Jackson does an outstanding job where when the ball's in the air, the guy turns into a legitimate receiver. It's really impressive to watch. I just look at it in terms of the reason the defense is where it is right now. Number one, or I should say in no particular order. You look at the personnel, of course, is important. The intelligence from this defensive team where they can scheme it up from week to week where, hey, we're playing against the Chargers who are coming off a bye week. You know, we're going to put in a totally different defense for this week. We're going to play way more zone than we were playing in the previous week. That's going to throw Justin Herbert off, and the team's ready to go. They're fine with it. They're able to make the necessary adjustments. So that's the second part of the equation. And then, of course, the third element to all this is Bill Belichick and Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo. This is now back to Bill Belichick and company proving that they are, once again, an elite staff in the NFL. And I'm not saying that everybody jumped off the boat last year, but there were legitimate question marks what this team in terms of what this team was doing last year. It wasn't just that the personnel wasn't great. Some of the times last year you looked at it, you're like, the game planning sucks. I think back to that game against the Rams. How did Cam Akers keep getting to the edge? We saw the same thing with the San Francisco 49ers game. But now that Bill Belichick and company have the personnel, have the guys that can play at an intelligent level, look at what this team has become. So it's clearly built on its defense in terms of what the Patriots are able to do. Mac Jones has been tremendous throughout his rookie campaign. And I quite frankly feel like last week was a massive step forward for Mac Jones. The one thing that he hadn't proven he could do yet, he did. Which was, Well, there's one other thing, too. We'll have to wait to see if he can bring you back in a game. But last week was, hey, defense dares you to beat them. They stacked the box against your running back 45% of the time. Stevenson was seeing eight-man boxes. Can Mac Jones do it? Last week, he proved he could, which is very impressive to see from a rookie quarterback. It took three weeks, but he was able to get it done. So now the question becomes, do teams continue to do that going forward? But this defense, I don't see how they take a step backwards. You could say, okay, maybe teams target the the opposite corner from J.C. Jackson a little bit more fine. 
We'll see if that works out long term. But you really think that Belichick and Steve Belichick are not going to be able to make the necessary adjustments when it comes to that? You don't think they're already thinking about this stuff in terms of, all right, teams are eventually going to stop throwing at J.C. Jackson. Don't you think they have an idea of what they're going to be able to do? I trust them in terms of a defensive brain trust to be able to figure that out. All right. 617-779-7937 is the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. A lot more to get into. I will get into some Celtics as well because Jason Tatum still hasn't found his shot. What's wrong with the C's All-Star? We'll get into that also. The Sox are in on a free agent that makes zero sense to me. I'll get to that next here on WEI. We're right back to it. This is Brian Barrett on EEI. All right, the offseason heating up in Major League Baseball. Eduardo Rodriguez, now a member of the Detroit Tigers. And how about this? John Heyman is reporting that the Red Sox are one of many teams interested in Javi Baez. Of course, played, finished the season with the Mets, spent the majority of the season with the Cubs before the trade. He is a free agent. This, to me, makes no sense whatsoever. Now, I do understand the relationship there because, of course, Alex Cora has managed him before with the World Baseball Classic, the Puerto Rican team, so he's friends with Javi Baez, et cetera, but it just doesn't feel like a match to me whatsoever. You look at Javi Baez on the season last year, so... One of the things that we alluded to on multiple occasions was when Kyle Schwarber came over, it brought a d- new dimension to the team because he walked, he took pitches. Javi Baez is not that type of player whatsoever. You look at Javi, Javi Baez last season. How about this? 33.6% strikeout rate. That ranked 130th of 132 qualified hitters. This guy strikes out all the time. He swung at 46.6% of pitches out of the zone. That ranked 130th out of 132 hitters. By the way, with the Mets, that number actually went up. He swung at 46.7% of pitches out of the zone. Now, his strikeout rate did go down a little bit with the Mets, 28.5 on the season, but still horrible. 28.5, well, with the Mets, I should say, on the season. On the season in totality, as we alluded to, 33.6%. Now, he did hit 299 with the Mets, 371 on base percentage, which is shocking to think about because he struck out 28.5% of the time, slugged 515, 886 OPS, and he had 31 bombs in totality on the season. Here's the problem, though. Baez is going to get paid big money. And why would the Red Sox invest big money in a a shortstop slash second baseman at this particular point? You have Xander Bogarts in the fold. You have Christian Arroyo in the fold at second base, so you just take it Arroyo out of the equation. And quite frankly, if you're going to bring a guy back to play second, wouldn't you just rather bring back Jose Iglesias, who's not going to cost you nearly as much as it would cost to bring back, bring in a guy like Javi Baez? It just doesn't make sense to me. And he's not a great defender in terms of what baseball savant had him at, zero outs above average. So he's a, he's not a great defender whatsoever. Not to say that you have a great defensive team, you have a horrible defensive team, but it's not like this guy's a massive upgrade from a defensive perspective. Not to mention he's kind of a headache. He really is. Remember all that crap he was pulling with the Mets? He was getting into it with the fans, et cetera. It just really doesn't make sense for the Red Sox to be going after a guy like this. Now, one thing I did want to get into, and I'll get into this in greater detail in the second hour, is the whole situation with Eduardo Rodriguez. Man, this is difficult for me. It really is because I have spent so much time over the past couple of years trying to defend Eduardo Rodriguez. And... You look at some of the numbers, and it's enticing, right? Because, and even Bloom admitted this, like part of the reason that Eduardo Rodriguez's raw numbers, if you will, don't look great 
is because of the fact that the defense sucked, right? The Red Sox were dead last in the defensive efficiency this past season. You look at Eduardo Rodriguez in terms of his batting average on balls in play, his Babbitt, 364. That was the worst among pitchers to throw at least 150 innings. But here's the thing. It doesn't add up to what he was doing on the mound. So if you look at, for example, his strikeout rate, 27.4, that's pretty good. That's 15th out of the 52 starters to throw at least 140 innings this past, or excuse me, 150 innings that this past season. So he's 15th out of 52. That's pretty good, which brings you back to that Babbitt, which is essentially telling you what his batting average is in terms of balls in play. It shouldn't be 364 if he's having that much success in terms of striking out the opposition, right? The numbers don't really match when it comes to that. The other thing is, in terms of soft contact, Eduardo Rodriguez actually did a relatively good job in terms of inducing soft contact this season, right? If you if you really think about it, Erod was really hurt more so than any other pitcher in Major League Baseball this season in terms of what his defense was doing because of that bat at that 364. Another guy that was hurt by it, of course, was... Nathan Avaldi. That's why, quite frankly, Nathan Avaldi did not get more Cy Young buzz because his raw numbers were not great because of the fact that the Red Sox defense behind him was so bad. Now, the Red Sox defense was much better in the postseason than it was throughout the regular season, but the point still remains. Nathan Avaldi was number one in terms of pitching war in the American League this past season. Yet he's not he didn't win the Cy Young because of the fact that, you know what, he didn't really have the defensive help behind him. This past season and the same thing could be said about Erod and quite frankly it was worse for Erod than it was any other pitcher on the Red Sox staff and I know that we have gone through this before with Eduardo Rodriguez some things piss me off about the way that he approaches the game like that first game that he started against Tampa in the postseason it really irritated you it really pissed you off because it felt like he just wasn't ready to go right he starts off that game he's just throwing change-ups and it's like what are you doing man are you here to compete or you're not here to compete that's the thing that irritated you about that, but I you look at it too, like the soft contact I referenced. 86.5 miles an hour in terms of the average exit velocity, that's seventh out of fifty-two. So if you have a twenty-seven point four percent strikeout rate, which is fifteenth out of the fifty-two starters to throw a buck fifty this year, hundred and fifty innings. If you have eighty-six point five miles an hour in terms of your average exit velocity, that's seventh out of fifty-two. There is no way. So you're getting soft contact. You're getting soft contact. There's no way that you should have the worst Babbitt in Major League Baseball. If anything, you should have one of the best Babbitts in Major League Baseball, which just goes back to the original point as it pertains to the Red Sox, just how bad this defense was this past season and how it's difficult to judge pitchers based on the fact that the Red Sox defense was so bad. 659 in terms of their defensive efficiency. How often are you turning balls and plays into outs or balls in play into outs? 30th in Major League Baseball, dead last. League average is 695. The Red Sox were 659. You look at errors, the Red Sox 29th, last in the American League, 108. Defensive run save, the Red Sox were at 2. That was 19th. So you just look at it from that perspective. Eduardo Rodriguez, part of the reason that his ERA was ballooned, right, his ERA's way up there, is because of the fact, 474, is because his defense was not good around him. So it's very difficult to judge Erod. But here's the thing. We have had this conversation about Eduardo Rodriguez for many years, and this is what would irritate me about this whole thing. Not that I am wishing ill will on the player, because I like Erod. Here's the thing that would really piss me off, just from a Red Sox fan perspective. What if Eduardo Rodriguez goes to Detroit and he figures it all out? Because wouldn't you agree that the stuff is there? He has a good fastball. 
He has a really good changeup. He has a good cutter. He has all the pitches that you need. The problem is he's just never been able to put it all together. Now, he has four stretches. As we saw, he was really against the Rays, his second start there. He dominated them, and he dominated the Astros. Remember his last game against the Astros? He's pointing to his wrist to impersonate or basically taunt Carlos Correa. So when you look at it, he finished strong for the Red Sox. I would have loved to see Eduardo Rodriguez back, but I can't understand the rationale that Heim Bloom and company decided to go with. He hasn't been dependable. He's And not just the myocarditis, but he's had issues with his health throughout the years, right? It's not just this season. We've seen it before. He's really put together one full season, which was 2019. I know this year he only missed the one start, which was at the beginning of the season. He didn't even really necessarily miss that necessarily because he was dealing with the dead arm at the beginning of the season. So I understand you look at it, he gets a five-year $77 million contract and opt out after two seasons. I understand at 29 not wanting to pay this guy that type of money if he hasn't proven it yet. But I'm just fearful that he's going to go to a new place. He's going to go to Detroit, and he's going to put it all together. And you're going to think to yourself as a Red Sox fan, why the hell couldn't that guy do this here? That's what I feel like is going to aggravate us more so than anything else. Rod, to develop into the pitcher we all thought he could be for all these years. How many times do you have to hear Chris Sale, Nathan Evaldi, all these guys talk about, well, Erod's got the best stuff on the staff. Okay, I know. But when is he actually going to show it? Although I wouldn't technically agree with that because I do quite frankly believe that Nathan Evaldi, he throws five pitches more than 10% of the time. is better stuff than Erod. But you get the point. All the pitchers on the staff are telling you this guy has the best stuff and he's never put it all together. Oh, it's going to irritate the crap out of me if he does that in Detroit. It really will. All right, a lot more to get into. 617-779-7937 is the number. I want to get into this as well. Jason Tatum still has not found his shot. What's wrong with the C's All-Star? We'll get to it next here on WEI. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.